Welcome to Friendship with God. Today, Tom Cantor will teach us from Genesis chapter 1 about the Hebrew word shamar, which means to keep. And he'll teach us why God asked Adam to keep or to guard the Garden of Eden. Download this message for free at friendshipwithgod.org, friendshipwithgod.org, or download it for free or listen to it on iTunes.com. Just search for the Friendship with God podcast. Now, we need your support for the Friendship with God radio program with Tom Cantor. We cannot air this program without your listener and financial support. If you'd like to be one of our listeners that is involved with monthly support, we really need your help, or even a one-time donation uh, of any amount. But to encourage you to uh, support the Friendship with God radio program, a donation of any amount today, we'd like to give you Tom Cantor's 18-day CPR book. That's Tom Cantor's 18-day Calvary CPR book, Conversational Prayer Reading. Tom Cantor will teach you what that means and also how to do conversational prayer reading and grow your friendship with God. This 18-day Calvary CPR book, Conversational Prayer Reading from Tom Cantor, is yours for your support and donation of $10 or more to the Friendship with God radio program. It helps us to stay on the air on this station in your city. So please call us right now with your support at 800 247 3051-800-247-3051. You can also call us after the program at 800-247-3051 or go online to donate at friendshipwithgod.org, friendshipwithgod.org. Now here's Tom Cantor teaching us about the Hebrew word shamar, how it means to keep, and what it teaches us about why God asked Adam to keep or guard the Garden of Eden. If Christ be in you, you see the interchangeability of this? The Spirit of God, the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of Christ, Christ himself be in you. The body is dead because of sin, but the Spirit of life, going back to Genesis 2, the Spirit of life because of righteousness. If the Spirit of him that raised up Jesus from the dead, or the Spirit of the re-life, or the restoration of life, raised up him from the dead, dwell in you, he that raised up Christ from the dead shall also quicken your mortal bodies by his Spirit that dwelleth, that lives inside of you. See, the spirit of life is a person. It's a person. He's the Holy Spirit. He's the Spirit of Christ. He is the breath of life. It's a person. He's a breath of, breath of life. It's the Spirit of God. Personality of God inside of us. That's what man lost at the fall. And that's what he regains by being born the second time. That's why 1 Corinthians 6.19 is so important for us to understand when Paul says, What? Know you not that your body is the temple? It's the home. It's the dwelling place of the Holy Ghost, which is in you, which you have from God. God breathed into the nostrils of man the breath of God. And you are not your own, whom he had formed. Okay, question. How long will the Spirit of God live in, in believers? How long? Is it just to temporarily get us through this little tough time called life on earth or longer? How long? Forever. Eternally. I'm kind of happy about that. I wouldn't want to be left alone again. Because John fourteen sixteen says, And I will pray the Father, and he shall give you another comforter, that he may abide with you forever. It settles it. Forever. Thank God. Next point. Genesis two fifteen. And he took man. God took man, the Lord God, took the man and put him into the garden of Eden to dress it and to keep it. God 
placed man where God gave man work to do. This word uh, placed is the same root word that's used for Noah's ark was floating around and it finally rested. Where did it rest? On Mount Ararat, that's the word rested. It said he rested the ark there. He rested man on in this place where he had given him work. And it says there that, that it was waiting for him because in verse 5, when it talked about everything, it says at the end of the garden, there was not a man to till the ground. So here was an obvious place where man was needed. God created the need for Adam, the work for Adam, the need for Adam. God has created a place for us in our lives. There are lost souls that God wants you to reach. And the devil is going to say to you, you're not important. You're not necessary. If not you, someone else, someone else will direct that soul. So if not, they're part of the elect. And if they're part of the elect, what are you? God's going to save them with or without you. You're just not that important. Don't you believe it for a minute. And don't you, don't you believe that lie. Because you are put in the place where God needs you to do the work he has created for you to do, just like he created the work for Adam to do. Remember the poem from last week? There's a work for Jesus ready at your hand. Tis a task the master just for you has planned. Haste to do his bidding, yield him service true. There's a work for Jesus none but you can do. There's a work for Jesus, precious souls to bring. Tell them of his mercies. Tell them of your king. Faint not, no, grow weary. He will strength renew. There's a work for Jesus none but you can do. That's an important phrase. None but you can do. Very important. Very important at the, those last words at the end of verse 5. There was not a man to till the ground. In other words, it could say, there was needed a man, just like God did for Adam. He's put you in the place of his choosing. He's created a place that he needs you. Think of God saying, there was not a Ray. There was not a Don. There was not a Russ. There was not a Scott to speak for God to those lost sinners. Same thing as with Adam here. None but you can do. All right. Next part, verse 15. God took the man, put him into the Garden of Eden to dress it and keep it. Now, he has given Adam this work to do. Evidently, he may have, it seems like he made him outside the garden, then he put him in the garden. I don't know. You have to ask God about that. I'm not sure. But anyway, he was there to work it and guard it. This is life in paradise. This is not exactly the picture of floating on a raft in a South Sea island sipping coconut milk. As the Lord Jesus Christ said in John 5, 17, My Father worketh hitherto, and I work. So understand this, this, what God thinks about work, is to understand his will for our lives. He says, Adam, I want you to dress it. It was not only a place to enjoy the beauty of the trees and, and eat from them, but it was a place of work. And that's what it is. And God... Three times, as we saw in the first three verses, he uses the word work, work, work. Three times he says, he talks about God's work. What God says, if a man doesn't work, he shouldn't eat. But the second thing that God told Adam was that he should keep it. 
This is the introduction to a very important concept, and the first time, that a certain word is used here, the word shamar, it's a root shamar, from which we get shema, listen. And the picture starts, with this word, the picture starts to become sharper and sharper in its focus in the Bible by this word, keep it, or shamar, guard it. Why would God say to Adam that he had to protect the garden? Because he was sick. Well, first of all, let me give you a few verses if you want to write them down. If you don't want to write them down, that's okay too. But anyway, um, this is other places where the word root word shamar is used. Deuteronomy 15.9, beware that there be not a thought in thy wicked heart. Psalm 144, keep me, O God, O Lord, from the hands of the wicked. Exodus 23.13, in all things that I have said unto you, be circumspect. That's the word. Psalm 119.9, wherewithal shall a young man cleanse his way? By taking heed thereto, according to thy word. Exodus 19.5, now therefore if you will keep my voice indeed and keep, that's the word, my covenant. Proverbs 7.1, my son, keep my words. And then, the one that's coming up in Genesis 4.9, do you remember what Cain said when God asked him where Abel was? What, am I my brother's keeper? So, keeper is the same as well. So, what do you get when you look at all these verses You consider all these things? This, we're talking about being on guard, an enemy. Yeah, there's something you've got to be on guard against. There's something you've got to protect. There's something you've got to be diligent for. You've got to listen. You gotta, it's just like that song we sing, My soul beyond thy guard, 10,000 foes arise, and hosts of sin are pressing hard to draw thee from the skies. Oh, watch and pray and fight. The battle ne'er give o'er. Renew it boldly every day. So, anyways, it goes on. It's a great hymn. But anyway, so the garden evidently was, was not an enclosed place. I don't know, maybe it was, but it certainly wasn't enclosed to one character who's coming along in the next chapter. And it was, so there evidently wasn't a big wall. And so part of Adam's work was to also guard, protect, be a watchman on this garden, protect. Very strong indication, as Irene said, that Danger is around the corner, Adam, that it's going to be threatening you. An already existing power of evil is there. Now he put him in the garden, and, he, and God also said, Now, Adam, I want you to, to be, I want to get you strong. So I'm going to put all these wonderful trees in here, but there's going to be one tree in here, Adam. And he didn't have to put it in that garden, you know. God said, the tree of the knowledge of good and bad. And he said, and this, and Adam, it's going to be good if you obey me and don't eat that tree. And it's going to be bad if you disobey me and think you want to experience that evil. Why did God put that there? To strengthen Adam. So that his will would be strengthened. So his self-determination to not sin against God would get stronger. So that he would, he would be strengthening his choice to choose God. And that's part of what it was in keeping, in, in the keeping, the word keeping and protecting. Keep your own free will, Adam. Keep your own free will. Watch over your soul. Because it was God's will 
even for Adam in the garden, that he should determine his own destiny. That he should determine his, that he was going to go with God and, and have good and overcome evil forever and resist temptation. So he puts this garden there. You know, God loves to make covenants or promises or I don't, I kind of hesitate to say agreement because I'm not always sure that, that Adam agree, any people agree, but anyway, it's a promise. And so he makes this promise with Adam in, here in, in chapter 2. And he says, okay, Adam, here's what we got. The soil, I'm giving you the soil, and what's the soil going to do for you? What's the soil going to do for Adam? Yeah, he's going to give him food. The breath of God, I'm giving that to you, Adam. What's that going to give him? Life, good. The garden is going to be a place I'm giving to you for what? To work and live in, good. The animals are going to be there to serve you. The wife is going to be there <laughs> to, to argue with you. No, to, to what? <laughs> to help you, right? I'm giving you all this, Adam. All this I'm giving you. This is part of the covenant. Now, Adam, I'm requiring you, because I made you, to dress the garden and keep the garden. First thing. What's the next thing he required him? You know, you know every tree you want but one, right? Tree of the knowledge of good and bad. Don't eat from that tree. And then uh, you can give, and then I want you to give the names of the animals. And one last thing, I want you to keep marriage holy, special. So this is a covenant that God has given to Adam. This is an agreement. And the agreement is, you know, serve God, you live, disobey, you die. I want you to look at Psalm 50, verse 5, because God is into this, making agreements, making covenants. Gather my saints together unto me, those that have made a covenant with me by sacrifice. He is describing, God is describing, bringing those who have been cleansed, his saints, he calls them to him. And he's saying, they have made a covenant with me. They have made an agreement with me. What's the agreement? That they're going to turn over a new leaf and they'll be good forever? No. The, tr- the agreement is based on a sacrifice, a covenant by sacrifice. And we know that the great sacrifice was God's provided sacrifice. That's what happened here. So therefore, let's think back now on Adam. He's got this, this covenant. He's got positive, eat the trees from every tree you'd like to eat. Negative, don't eat of this tree of the good and evil, good and bad. So he sets boundaries. God is into setting boundaries. He said, this is where you stay, Adam, in these boundaries. Over here, you don't go over there. But over here, he sets the boundaries. Now, another thing God does He cared for man. In verse 18, chapter 2, back in Genesis. Chapter 2, verse 18, he said, It's not good the man should be alone. I will make for him and help me for him. You know what's interesting about this verse? It's speaking future. He says, It's not good for man that he is alone, that he'll be alone, and I will make for him a helpmate. It's all in the future. He foresaw Adam's need, maybe before Adam did. I don't know. Let me see. So where are we? 18. Okay. You see? Because what happened there, verse 18 comes before verse 20. Okay, that was profound. Verse 18 comes before verse 20 because verse 18, God is saying, we're going to have a need come up here 
Because, why do I say that? Because at the end of verse 20, it seems like that's the time when Adam feels it, right? I mean, you know, he, he, he is sitting there, he, he's naming the animals, and, and, and you know, he's got the, the doves coming with the wings, and, you know, they're, uh, you know, snuggling with each other and cooing, and, you know, and they come up there, and doves, and he says, okay, good for the doves, you have each other, wonderful. And then the next one comes, the baboons, and they're, picking the little t- ticks and the fleas off of each other with their big snouts. And he says, wonderful for the baboons. They love each other. You go. Next one comes the lions. Lions are their claws, but they're snuggling and cuddling, you know. Good for the lions. <laughs> so you get this picture, and all of a sudden, Adam feels, you know, like, uh, I don't have anybody. He says, you know, nobody here to pick the fleas and ticks off of me and everything. <laughs> So when he was, <laughs> that was the joy of it all. Remember when he made Eve, he 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 went to her and you know he says, oh she's bone of my bones. I mean he checks her out. You know, no wings, no claws, no snout. Oh she's beautiful. She looks like me. <laughs> anyway, but the point is, is that he hadn't gone through this until verse twenty, but in verse eighteen, God thought about it and God prepared for it, and that's the wonderful thing about God. Because the Lord Jesus Christ, it says in Revelation 13.8, was slain from the foundation of the world before this creation ever happened. Because God thought about it. God knew about it. God planned it, just like he did with Adam. And he allowed man to go through that whole naming process. That's another point. He allowed man to feel his need so he could train man to look to God for his need. And he could have just you know, created Eve right off the bat. And, and didn't have to go through the surgery with the rib and everything. He could have just done that, and Adam would have said, well, okay, I got one. But no, he allowed Adam to go through that process so that he would experience the need and he would be drawn into the right relationship of God first, God only. See, that's what Matthew 7, 7 means when it says, you're supposed to ask and it'll be given to you. You're supposed to seek humu from God. And you'll find you're supposed to knock to who? To God's door, and it'll be open unto you. Because everyone that asketh receiveth, and so forth. Because he says, he says, if you know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more should your heavenly father give good things to them that ask him? And when the fullness of time came in Galatians 4 4, God sent forth his son made of a woman, made under the law. So in other words, man felt the need for God's sacrifice. That's why Mary said in her Magnificata, you know, and she said, you know, that uh, hope, you have hope in your servant Israel. You helped. We waited, we waited. My not, you know, that's why Zacharias, I think it was, anyways, the priest, he said, you know, I long to see your salvation. There was the need that was felt. God, that's what God is into. And then... God supplied the need. He made the he made the, the woman. He didn't have to go to eHarmony. He just made the woman. <laughs> so he made the woman. He provided. Man had a need. Man could not meet this need. God provided the need. Man has a need, as we saw in Psalm 50, verse 5. Got to have a covenant with God. Got to have a sacrifice. Got to have. And, God's, and, and when Abraham was walking up that hill, to Mount Moriah with Isaac in Genesis 2, uh, Genesis 22. You remember Genesis 22. And this, this, this momentous historical question pierces the silence as Isaac asks the question. He says, 
Behold the fire, Father Abraham. Behold the wood. Where's the lamb? Where's the lamb? That was the momentous question. And Abraham said to him, God himself will provide a lamb. God will provide a lamb, see? And that's why, look over in Isaiah 53. Isaiah chapter 53. Because this is along the same lines. Uh, Gather my saints together, those that have made a covenant to me by sacrifice. And here in Isaiah 53 verse 9, we really can read uh, the sacrifice which is needed, uh, one that had done no violence, one that had never said a lie, had never deceived anyone, neither was there any deceit in his mouth. Well, who's that? Well, you know, all of us are disqualified and everybody else. So we don't have that. We don't have it in ourselves or anybody else that we... But God gave him, just like he gave the woman. God gave him, and that's verse 10. It pleased the Lord to bruise him. He put him to grief. See, God not only gave him, but also um, um, sacrificed him. So that we could have, thou shalt make his soul an offering for sin. Look at him. You don't have someone help for you, so I'll give you the wife. Look, sinful person, you don't have a sacrifice to make with me, so I'll give you my son. And that's what he did here. So now you can have this wife. So now you can have this sacrifice so that you can come to God. Make his soul your offering for sin. Make his soul your offering for sin. That's Isaiah 53.10. And then another thing we learn about God in verse 22 is that God delighted to give this to man. He brought her to man, and he delighted in that. And we've already said, he said, this is, checked her out, and she's just like him, so she's beautiful. And he delights in that. God loves to be the God described in John 3.16. For God so loved the world, he gave. God is, he loves to give, and he loves to see the response of the people he gives to. It's like my wife. She loves to buy presents. My, my wife loves to buy presents. Our house is full of presents. I think she's forgot who she bought those presents for. They're piling up everywhere. We have a whole closet in other places, too. There's presents everywhere. She, she loves to give presents. She sees somebody, oh, I'll give that to somebody. The only trouble is there aren't enough birthdays and Christmases to come around and give them all away. But yesterday was our neighbor's 87th birthday, Dottie Hammond, and, and she said, oh, it's a birthday. i got to surprise her. It's got to be the, the birthday card that's got to arrive in the mail uh, on her birthday. So she didn't trust the mail to send it there. So all morning she's looking out the window for the mailman. You see, oh, the mailman's here. And so she goes running down there. She basically goes running down there. She puts the, mail, puts the card in there so she's sure that Dottie will get that and it'll be wonderful. That's God. Because he loves to give, and he loves to see the response of the person that he's given to, just like with Adam. He loved all that, because that's what God loves to do. Fear not, Luke 12, 32, little flock, it's your father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. He is really happy to do it, and he's happy to see your face when he does it. You know what I think the most, you remember when the Lord Jesus Christ was dying on the cross, and before he died, he said, one more, I can get one more, one more, this sinner right here, this thief on the cross, I'll get him. And when he did, and the Lord, remember, the sinner, the thief said to him, Lord, remember me when thou comest into thy kingdom. And you remember what the Lord Jesus Christ said? He said, yeah, he said today. He said today. I think he loved to say that word today. You know why? Because today wasn't going to last very long. There was only a few more hours left in the day. And I could just picture him getting down there in, in paradise and say, check your what within a watch. But he would have said, <laughs> he would have said to him, you see, it's still today. 
and you're with me in paradise. That's God. He loves to see the response. And what do you think the, the thief said? He was just like jumping out of his skin. Yeah, it's so wonderful. You said that on the cross. Because he loves to give. That's our God. That's who God is. Isn't God wonderful? This is what we've learned about God. All right, now, we're going to re- uh, just a quick review and then we're finished. Okay, we come to the end of chapter 2. We have a wonderful relationship between God and man. A relationship based on, one, God made man. Two, God gave man life. Three, God placed man where God gave man work to do. Four, God gave him work. Five, God made a covenant or promise with him. Six, he cared and foresaw his need, planned it. Seven, he allowed man to feel his need. Eight, he supplied his need. And nine, he delighted in seeing his response to the need. Father, thank you so much for showing us who you are. It helps us so much to give us confidence to believe that you are a rewarder of them that diligently seek you, because that's who you are. Thank you, Lord, for showing us these things in chapter 2, and help us, Lord, to prepare us that we might learn from them and be ready as we study not only the great tragedy, but the great restoration that you brought about in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for joining Tom Cantor and the Friendship with God radio program this week. We'd like to offer you our resource of the month to help encourage you to support the Friendship with God radio program. It's Tom Cantor's book, Calvary 18 Days CPR, which will teach you how to have conversational prayer reading with God, and it'll improve your friendship with God. To encourage you to support this Bible teaching radio program, it's your resource of the month for a donation of $10 or more. Call us now at 800-247-3051, 800-247-3051, again, 800-247-3051, or go online to friendshipwithgod.org, friendshipwithgod.org, or 800-247-3051. Thanks for your support.